Your sermon is entitled this morning by that title, Living for Jesus. And if you look in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17 will be our key text. And you notice then that there's chapter 4, and that's the end of the book. There's only two more sermons in this series after today. Preaching the Word will be verses 1 through 8 next week, and then two weeks from now will be the conclusion of the book and the conclusion of this series to be continued, and that's asking for help. Uh, And that's chapter 4, verses 9 through the end of the book in verse 22. But what we want to do first is read today's scripture. It's on the screen there for you. And if you've got your Bible, if you'd stand in the honor of reading God's word as we read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, Persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. Because you know those who from you learned, uh, from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's put our scripture memory verse of the month up there, which is from this passage, and say that together while you remain standing. Second Timothy. Oh, oh, we're moved on to the next month. Well, we'll just say this one then. Second Timothy 4 2. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. Second Timothy 4 2. Pray with me. Our Father, as we consider your word today, we ask that you'd speak to us, that we'd hear from your Holy Spirit, and that we wouldn't get caught up so much in what we should do, but how we might surrender, and how your love for us encourages us to surrender to you and to love one another. Father, give us purpose as we live for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You should be, can be seated. Your first point on your outline says that as a Christ follower, I should. Now that word should can get us into trouble. Years ago, my friend, Pastor Aaron Loy, matter of fact, three years ago in January here, wrote a blog post about shooting all over ourselves. And he was actually quoting from uh, writer, theologian Brennan Manning about how should can be dangerous, and it's grace that sets us free. So we need to keep that balance in our minds as believers in Jesus as we study the Scripture today, even though I use the word should. As a Christ follower, I should. And your first point is live with purpose. Live with purpose. Notice what it says there in verse 10 and 11. 
You, however, know about all my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. Persecution, suffering, the kind of things that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me through them all. Now, he says, you, however... So there's a change here. Your Bible has a break in paragraph. Your Bible may even have a title put in as you note back to what Paul had just referred to two weeks ago in our sermon, but just ahead in your scripture there in verses 1 through 9. Paul's talking about what the last days are going to be like and how things are going to be terrible and how people are going to be confused by false teachers and how even in Ephesus where Paul's writing to Timothy as pastor of the church, people were confused by false teachers like that. And so he's shifting gears and he's saying, don't be like these people that I just talked about in verses 1 through 9. He's saying there should be a difference in your life and you ought to live with purpose. He says, you know all about my teaching. Well, you guys have read the Bible, right? And you know that 13 books of the New Testament were written by the Apostle Paul. And you know that the Apostle Paul had a lot of things to teach. And you know that you could get a doctorate degree in theology and not know everything Paul taught. But don't be discouraged by what you don't know. Just obey what you do know. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, you know about everything I've taught, and that's a lot. But more than that, you know about my way of life. That's a good translation. The Greek is more than conduct. It's a whole way of life. It's about being and doing. It's about thinking and acting. And he says, you know about my purpose. We'll look at that a little bit more in a second. Faith, patience, love, endurance. Paul is one of these guys that when he writes something, he doesn't want to leave anything out. So that's why you get lists like this. And you think about Paul talking about his faith in Christ. Think about all that Paul went through. The persecutions and trials he suffered. His perseverance. Think about his sufferings and persecution, endurance, and all the love that he shared. Paul points out with his own life the difference it is when we serve Jesus living with purpose. Your first question there asks you, what purpose does my life show? If Paul tells us you should live with purpose, that's great. How does it apply to you? How does it apply to me? When you look at the dictionary.com definition of purpose, it gives you three definitions of purpose as a noun. It says the reason for which something exists or is done, made, or used, an intended or desired result, end, aim, or goal, and determination or resoluteness. And all of those things might be said to interpret this question for you and I. What purpose does my life show? I'm not talking about your aspirational purposes, the things you hope your life would be like. I'm talking about your actual purposes, the things that your life actually demonstrates. Consider these four quotes about purpose. The first is that you live your, excuse me, this is from Bob Goff. He says, your life is going to end up somewhere. It might as well be on purpose. He also said, whatever you're aiming for, Jesus is better. So that's Bob Goff. But if you come to the book of Psalms, the psalmist says in 57.2, he says, 
I call to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. That it's God's purpose for my life that will be fulfilled, the psalmist teaches us. Look at Psalm 138.8. It says, the Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Lord, your love is eternal. Do not abandon the work of your hands. If you're like me, there's times when you feel like, okay, God has abandoned me. But I have to ask, maybe I've abandoned Him. Because I feel like I'm not living on purpose, not fulfilling or doing or being the things that He intends me to do. But remember that all of us, our life is headed somewhere. I mean, might as well live it on purpose and with purpose in serving God. What does my life show? Let's get to our next question there. And that next question is, how has God cared for me? Because though verse 10 is about purpose, when Paul uses the word at the end of verse 10, endurance, that switches or flips a switch in his mind. Because that word endurance means to bear up under suffering. So that switch that is flipped in Paul's mind leads him to the next two words in verse 11. Persecutions and sufferings. And leads him, as so often with Paul it does, to explain a little bit of what he's talking to. And he says, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Now he's writing to Timothy, his son in the ministry. So Timothy knew all the bad stuff that Paul went through. And how people that said they followed God, Jewish people, treated Paul terribly. And did things to him in the name of God. And Paul says, these persecutions I endured, and last sentence of verse 11, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. When you think about your life and the things that you are enduring even now, the areas that are challenging to you that cause you suffering or pain, Can you say the Lord has already rescued you? Can you say that the Lord is rescuing you? Or are you just in the faith and sure and certain hope that he will rescue you? Because you're not there yet. That God has cared for me. I pray that in your Christian life, you can look back and you can see here was a challenge and here's how God answered. Here was a prayer I had and here's how God came through. And again and again and again. And you can look back over your life and see spiritual markers one after the other of how God has consistently cared for you in challenges that were too great for you to bear up under on your own. As I look around this room and I know some of your lives and some of your stories, I can say that's true, but I hope in the way that you know your life better than I do, you can say, yes, God has done these things for me. Because God desires for us to live on purpose. But if we do, Paul tells us there's going to be persecutions. Verses 12 and 13 takes us a little further there, and that's your second major point on your outline. As a Christ follower, I should expect difficult circumstances. I should expect difficult circumstances. Life is not going to be easy when you commit your life to Christ because you're committing to live in a different way, a way that goes counter to the world. Look at verse 12 and 13. It says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go on from bad to worse being 
uh, deceiving and being deceived. The Bible says that if you follow Jesus, you will be persecuted. Did you hear that? Nod your head. Maybe we need to have a stronger response than that. The Bible says you will be persecuted. If you heard that, say yes. So why are we surprised when we're persecuted? Now, of course, if you act like a jerk and are just being all judgmental, maybe you deserve some persecution, okay? But I'm talking about if you're seeking to love people and seek to live a righteous life, yet people don't seem to get you. You're in 2 Timothy. Turn back with me to John and let's see what Jesus says about this. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. John 15 and verses 18, 19, and 20. It's throughout the Bible, but I want you to hear the words of Jesus when he talks about if we live for him, what will our lives be like? John 15, 18, he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. God has called you. End of verse 19, that is why the world hates you. Verse 20, remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. If you read on in the verses following, you get the work of the Holy Spirit where Jesus describes that. And then look at verse 33 of John 16. Jesus summarizes this teaching by saying, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus says we will have difficult circumstances because we are not of the world, but that he has overcome the world. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory far beyond our comprehension. That what we experience is persecution. What we have to endure here prepares us for a reward that is far greater. So as we consider this idea of difficult circumstances that we live in, let's ask two process questions. The first is, how have I been persecuted? How have you been persecuted? Has there been an instance in your life where you did the right thing and somebody made fun of you for it? Where you chose to follow God and you suffered some hard consequence for it? Has there been an instance where maybe you lost your job or had a relationship broken because you sought to follow God's word and God's will for your life, God's purpose, that you've been persecuted? It's inevitable that as a follower of Jesus, you will be persecuted. Your second process question there says, where am I most deceived? Now, this pivots us in a different direction, but remember going back to verse 14. Verse 14, or excuse me, verse 13 said, While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Though you are a believer in Jesus, most of us here are, you will be deceived. It is your nature as a human. 
to want to believe certain things, to want to believe certain people. And others take advantage of that. And you can be and will be deceived. The question for you is, where are you most deceived? Where is it easy for the devil to lead you astray? Is there a certain habit, a certain sin that you find yourself justifying? That it's all too easy for you to fall into or to do. That's where you're most deceived. And that's part of the difficult circumstance that you should expect when you live for Jesus. So we've talked about deception to faith from fake to true and our purpose in describing ourselves as we move ahead and living with purpose, we're going to be persecuted, but how should we respond to that persecution? That's your third major point this morning. Your third major point says, as a Christ follower, I should pursue Jesus in faith. We know that Christ should be our purpose for life. We know that when He is our purpose in life, we will be persecuted, that the world won't get along with us, they won't understand us and accept us all the time. And so, how should we handle that? Well, that's the next two verses. I love how Paul, being the Greek kind of guy, he is rational, lawyerly in his thinking, lays out an argument. And he tells us here in verse 14 and 15 how to pursue Jesus in faith. He says, but as for you. This is the second time in this book he's used that phrase. He loves this phrase for Timothy, his son in the ministry. When he's contrasting to Timothy things that have gone before, and he said, all these bad things with these bad people, but as for you, Timothy, here's how you are to live differently. Here's how you are to be different. Here's how you are to behave different. And he's putting that marker on this again. That's the way those people are, Timothy. They're deceived and being deceived. They're evil men going from bad to worse, but as for For you, verse 14 begins, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Look in verse 15. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. As for you, Timothy, there's a different way of life for you. Your first question there asks, who taught me to follow Jesus? When you think about how you became a follower of Jesus, who taught you? Many of us, it was our mom or our dad or both. Some of us, it may have been another family member, a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle. It may have been a friend or a neighbor that first began to talk to us about Jesus, or first took us to church, and then continued to take us to church, continued to tell us about the Bible, or read the Bible with us, or study the Bible with us, and began to teach us about Jesus. Some of us have someone in our life that's very significant. It may be your spouse, it may be a good friend, maybe a mentor, someone who has specifically said, I'm going to give my life to you in such a way that you might learn to follow Christ as I have learned to follow Christ. And we have been mentored or discipled by someone else. That person taught you to follow Jesus. For most of us, it's a lot of people that have taught us to follow Jesus. It's always an amazing thing if 
someone was to trust Christ as their Savior and Lord, particularly a young person in our church. And if I were to do something like say, every one of you who have ever taught this child in our church, because they've been a part of discipling 10 or 20 adults or teenagers stand up, because they've been a part of discipling, of teaching, of training that new believer in Jesus to lead them to the point of faith. So who taught you? We all need a mentor, a discipler. It's biblical. That God intends us to have one like another. Paul and Timothy are the prime example of that. That Paul the elder adopted Timothy as his son in the ministry. Timothy's father is not mentioned in Scripture. Timothy's mother and grandmother are mentioned in Scripture. So Timothy's father is out of the picture somehow, some way. And so Paul was like a father figure to him spiritually, but much more than that, he called him a son in the ministry, a son in life. Who do we have in our lives that is a Paul as we're a Timothy and that as we are a Paul, they are our Timothy and we are teaching them to follow Jesus Let's ask your next question there. How am I growing wiser? Paul said in verse 14, you know and you become convinced of these things because you know whom you learned it from. And he says in verse 15, how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures from which are able to make you wise for salvation. How are you growing in wisdom How is it that even now you continue to grow in wisdom? I hope that you have a habit of, if not daily, at least regular Bible reading. I hope that you have a habit of turning on some teaching on the radio, on the internet, or a podcast, or reading um, disciple-making material, or devotionals, and studying and thinking deeply about Scripture, and asking God to change your life. If you don't have a habit, you can use any of those habits right now. I hope that you have a habit of praying specifically about things, writing them down and seeing how God answers. That you're seeking to grow wiser, seeking to grow more like Jesus all the time so that your life might pursue Him in faith. Notice what Paul said in verse 15. How from infancy, not all of us have had the advantage of from infancy, somebody teaching us about Scriptures. But you're here now. And what do the scriptures do? According to this verse. Are able to make you wise for salvation. Through faith in Christ Jesus. The scriptures. Give us wisdom. Insight. And how to grow in our salvation. Not just to be saved. But continue in salvation. Through faith. Not on our own. But by what God does for us. Through Jesus. So remember when I talked about purpose and this phrase, as a Christ follower, I should, that it's by grace that we should do these things. Not by our own effort, not by our own power and ability, but by our surrender to God's grace that He might work these things out in us. Our purpose is His purpose. Let's look together at your fourth and final major point. That comes from verses 16 and 17. And that says, as a Christ follower, I should grow through 
Scripture. I should go through Scripture. That's your fourth and final point there. I should grow through Scripture. The verse says, and it's a famous verse that I've quoted before and many of you all know, that all Scripture is God-breathed. It is literally inspired by the breath of God. It is breathed out by God. Even though about 40 different men wrote it over 2,000 years of history, it's all the same message because it is written by the same person, God, but using the hand of different messengers. And is useful for, and you have this list of four different things, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All of them overlap ever so slightly. But teaching we know because we have people that we call teachers. Rebuking we don't like so much because that sounds a little bit negative, but that's kindly putting someone else in their place. Correcting is showing them how to do it differently. You're going to say them, but you're going to show them. And then training. That's why we talk about being Christ followers around here. A disciple of Jesus isn't just a student, but it's a learner, an apprentice that has been shown how to do something by someone else. I don't know about you. I'm a kinesthetic learner. I'd like somebody to show me. I can read something about how to do something physical, but I'd so much rather have you show me how to do it, or if you can't show me, I'm going to go to YouTube, right? Did you know there's a whole category and there's an award for how-to videos on YouTube? I mean, there's how-to for everything. You need to do something to your car, and you can put in the make and model and so on, and somebody's probably done something. It's amazing, And I want to see somebody say, here's how you do this. You need to have these tools and you do it this way and be careful about this and do that and do that. And you're like, oh, thank you. I leave them a like and I write a comment. Hey, man, this is great. You just saved me however many bucks. I appreciate it. I want somebody to show me. That's what Scripture is when it's training in righteousness. That's this idea of mentoring or discipling somebody else as Paul was to Timothy, as somebody else was to you, as you can be to someone else, to teach them to follow Jesus through Scripture. Verse 17 says, The so that, you know I love the so that. The so that here is so that the person of God may be thoroughly, Equipped for every good work. And you know I've told you about this word before too. This word here thoroughly means absolutely, positively, completely. There's no absence from this word. So that the person of God may be absolutely, positively, completely equipped for what? Every good work. God desires the Bible To make us ready for everything he wants us to do. One commentator, Frank Viola, said, The Bible is so misunderstood, it's a sin. He said, Countless Christians have no idea what's in the Bible because they rarely read it. And countless Christians in the evangelical world condemn others for certain kinds of sins while turning a blind eye to other kinds of sins, the excused sins being those which angered Jesus the most when he was here in his flesh. There are two fundamental truths in this scripture. The scripture is inspired by God and that scripture's purpose is to be profitable for us to serve God. John R. W. Stott says that the only the divine origin of scripture secures and explains its human profit. He said a whole lot in just a few words there. 
Only the divine origin of Scripture both secures and explains its human profit. Because remember what did Paul say? That it is profitable for. So your application questions here asks, what does the Bible do? Well, I've just outlined that. I tried to follow what Paul said here. The things the Bible does, it teaches, rebukes, corrects, trains, so that we may be thoroughly, absolutely, positively equipped for every good work. And your second application question there says, why did God inspire the Bible to do that? Why did He inspire the Bible to do that? Paul Tripp says, the Bible's teaching is designed to be a means to an end. And the end is a radically transformed life. God inspired the Bible to change you. God inspired the Bible to change me. God inspired the Bible that we might know His purpose, be filled with His purpose, and live His purpose thoroughly. Absolutely, positively equipped for every good work. We've started a partnership with McPhee Elementary School. McPhee is one of the most challenged elementary schools in the Lincoln public school system. And there's five of us there now that are volunteering, three with first graders, helping them read, and two with fifth graders. But it's open now to any of the rest of you. If you'd like to give an hour a week or even more, uh, talk to me. I'll send out an email this week to let you know what you can do to sign up to volunteer at McPhee Elementary. The goal is that in August, we will have 30 different Southview members giving 60 hours a week to meet the needs of McPhee Elementary to help these kids in this challenged school learn to read. So then everything else in their education and their future life will be better as we help them. So I'm there already at McPhee, and I have my short little table with my short little chairs because I'm working with first graders. And I'm sitting down at my short little table with my short little chair two weeks ago, and I've got a group of first graders around me, and we're um, doing a project about adjectives. And so I'm telling them, you know, well, what's a noun? Okay, we know what a noun is. What's a verb? A verb is a doing, and an adjective describes things. So they had a worksheet that asked them on the top of the sheet to draw a picture. Then there were nine boxes on the bottom of the sheet to write adjectives. My quick little gambit on my own without consulting the teacher because she's busy with a group at another set of tables is draw something you like to do. And then I would use that drawing they made to help them get adjectives to describe it, right? There might be a better way. I didn't think of a better way on the spur of the moment. So here I've got my four little first graders around me. They're drawing pictures. And as soon as I can, I help this one pick out some words and this one pick out some words. I have one little girl who will remain nameless who comes to my table uh, and spends, you know, half or more of the time with me each time I've been there. The first time I was there, she licked me twice. Pastor David tells me she's testing boundaries. 
I said, all right. So, um, you know, I can see she's testing boundaries as I've been with her for four or five whole weeks now, 45 minutes at a time. And, you know, I've been a parent and I can observe things. So, you know, when she licked me, I said, oh, that's not appropriate. Here, let's go back to our work. And I moved my hand away from her mouth. So, because she was leaning over towards my hand and went, licked me. So this dear little girl who doesn't ever want to seem to do her work and is already as a first grader developed the ability to deflect things and try to keep from doing her work. She's drawing an amazing picture. And I called her by name and I said, wow, that's a great picture. I mean, it really was better than her peers at the table. And she didn't draw herself as a stick figure in the picture either. She had like, you know, legs with volume and arms that looked strong and a torso and a real head and even a nose sticking out, long hair like she has. And I said, man, that's a great picture. I said, tell me what you're doing. She had drawn a detailed picture of the McPhee playground, you know, with a swing, with a slide, and even with a monkey bar. She says, I'm swinging from the monkey bars. I said, great. Now we need a word, an adjective to describe how you felt when you're swinging from the monkey bars. And she says, in a low voice, in a whisper, brave. And I thought, isn't that true of us? Give me five. She gave me five. And I thought, isn't that true of us, even as adults? Even though we know how to read, we know what a noun, a verb, and an adjective is, and we use them all the time without thinking about them. Don't we need to be filled with God's Spirit in order that we might feel brave? Brothers and sisters, I share that story with you about the awesome adjectives at McPhee Elementary. To remind us, when it comes to living for Jesus, it's not on our own. It is filled with the Holy Spirit so that we might live brave for Him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for simple things like a first grader who overcame her fear And started swinging on the monkey bars that are six feet off the ground when she's only three feet tall. We thank you, Father, for reminders, lots of them, through the scripture we open today. Of who you've called us to be and how you have called us to be that person. And it's my prayer, Father, that whatever it is that we need to surrender in order that you might inhabit us with your Holy Spirit that we might be more like Jesus would we do it. And Father, whatever it is we need to say yes to or no to, that we might seek out a mentor or that we might become a mentor and that we might make disciples to grow Christ's followers more because of this sermon. Because we see your truth in this sermon. So Father, whatever it is, would we surrender to you? And God, if there's a person here today who needs to trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord, to commit their life to follow you, would they do that? And let us know today. There's a person here that needs to unite with this church family and say, I want to be a member of a church like this because God has called me here. Would they walk down this aisle in a moment and let us know that we might rejoice with them? If there's a person here that you're calling to surrender.
to give their life to some sort of ministry where they might make disciples. Would they do that today and let us know? God, we seek to be obedient for you as we live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.